If you would, turn with me again to Job chapter 4. Here we're going through the Scriptures, looking at some questions that are asked in Scripture. And the one I want to look at this morning is where were the righteous cut off? After Job lost everything that he had except his wife, his body is now covered in boils from head to toe. Job had three friends who came, and they were shocked when they saw him. He was in such a miserable physical condition. They didn't recognize him at first, and they were stunned. They sat with Job for seven days in complete silence. And after those seven days, Job spent all of chapter 3 saying he wished he'd never been born. After seven days of silence, after listening to Job tell his friends he's so miserable, he wished he'd never been born, the first words that these friends spoke to him, here in verse 7, Remember, I pray thee, whoever perished being innocent. Or where were the righteous cut off? Even as I have seen they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. Now that's a true statement. That's a true statement. God will never cause the innocent to perish. And he never will cut off the righteous. That's a true statement. But the way Eliphaz says it is untrue. You know, what Eliphaz is saying is, now Job, you have done many good things. You're right. You've helped people. You, you've been such a help to, to the weak and the struggling, those in trial. You've been help to people. But he said, now Job, you've got to be guilty of some horrible sin. Some horrible secret sin or else God wouldn't have done this to you. Now see, this is a true statement he makes that, that uh, the righteous are never cut off. The, the innocent never perish. That's a true statement, but the way Eliphaz is using it does not apply to Job's situation. Now, we know this from reading the whole book and from hearing this conversation that took place for all this started between God and Satan. God didn't send this trial to punish Job. No, he didn't send this trial so Job would be cut off. God sent this trial for the same reason he sends trial to all of his children. It's for our learning. So that we'll learn to trust him more. So we'll learn our God is faithful. We can trust him. Job is not being cut off. His faith is, is being tried. And we find out at the end of the book, oh, Job was not cut off at all, was he? No, not at all. And that's something good for us to keep in the front of our mind. To be careful what we say to our friends when they're in times of trial. This is a real indictment against Job's friends. They were better friends when they just sat there in silence. <laughs> They were worse friends when they, when they opened their mouth. I don't want to be that kind of friend, do you? You know, telling somebody, God must be punishing you because of some sin, you know, that you committed. That's just flat wrong. Just flat wrong. God does correct his children, but he never punishes them. He never punishes his children for their sin. He's already punished our substitute for our sin. Now, God corrects his children. I mean, no, no misunderstanding. God corrects his children. But thinking, just thinking, ooh, you know, we have a friend who's going through a serious trial and we think, what did they do? They've done something. That's why God's doing this to them. My friends, that's nothing but self-righteousness. That's all it is. 
If I think God's punishing somebody because they did something wrong, the flip side of that coin is I have to think God's not punishing me because I've done something right. (laughs) It's just self-righteousness, isn't it? We need to remember this about trials and in all of our different earthly circumstances. Earthly circumstances and earthly possessions, they are not an indication of God's favor or disfavor. Poverty. You know, we know people that just live their whole lives in poverty. Poverty does not mean God's angry with you and he's withholding these things from you because you know he's angry with you. Poor Lazarus, who's lying at the rich man's gate, he would love to God, wouldn't he? And riches, they don't mean God's favor necessarily. God sent that rich man to hell, didn't he? Now look back at Ecclesiastes chapter 7, or over Ecclesiastes chapter 7. As I began looking at this passage, I read a lot of people, a lot of different writers, that say Eliphaz is just wrong completely wrong in this statement that he makes. He says, well, or these writers say, we know innocent people who perish all the time. We know righteous people who are cut off all all of the time. And one of the the places that they kind of take that from is what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 15. All things have I seen in the days of my vanity. There's a just man that perisheth in his righteousness. And there's a wicked man that prolongeth his life and his wickedness. Now, humanly speaking, there are a lot of poor people. They're honest. They're upright. And I mean, I don't care what they do. They never get ahead financially. They're just, they always live in, in poverty and difficulty. And there are men who are absolute crooks. I mean, they're just absolute crooks. They, everything they do in, in business and all their dealings is, is dishonest. They lie and cheat and they make millions. Solomon says that's a thing of vanity that I've seen in this earth. It just makes you so mad you could spit, doesn't it? That's what my grandma said. She said it just makes me so mad I could spit. We know lots of people who are innocent of a crime that spend decades in jail. And later on we find out through DNA evidence and something they were saying they're innocent all along. They were right. They were right that they were innocent all along. And then people who are guilty of serious crimes, they get away with it. It seemed to prosper and it just, it, it's frustrating. And it? it's so frustrating. Now we know there are miscarriages of man's justice. There's just, and we see the dishonest prosper all of the time. But that's not the subject here. Now that was the subject of what, what Solomon is talking about, but that's not the subject that we're talking about this morning. That's not the subject that Eliphaz was talking about. The subject here is God's justice. God's justice. Does God ever cause the innocent to perish? Does he? Does God ever cause the righteous to be cut off? Well, the answer is no. No, he does not. Never. Never. I'm going to give you four examples that I thought of. Number one is this. Well, what about Abel? What about all the martyrs who died and had their head cut off or burned at the stake or some horrible thing? What about those people, and specifically Abel, who died? 
believing on Christ. They died because they believed Christ. The physical life was taken away from them because they believed Christ. What about that? Well, Abel and all the other martyrs that we know of, they didn't do anything wrong, did they? I mean, I know it was against man's law for for, for the martyrs to, to preach Christ and worship, you know. But they, that's not wrong. They didn't do anything wrong. Abel didn't do anything to, to, to deserve being put to death, did he? Humanly speaking. As far as man is concerned, Abel was innocent. He was doing the right thing. Abel was murdered. He was murdered by his brother. But now listen, Abel wasn't sinless. No, if he wasn't sinless, he couldn't have died. The only reason for death is sin. The only reason Abel could die is he is a sinner. Now, his brother Cain was wrong in murdering, but you know Abel could die because he was a sinner. He was guilty of original sin. His father Adam, he was original, or he was guilty of sin that he committed just like you and me. Unless the Lord returns first, one day each of us will die. Because that's what sin is going to do to these bodies. Look over at Hebrews chapter 11. Abel, not long at least, not maybe probably when he was offering it, but not long after, before he died, Abel was offering a blood sacrifice to God. You know why Abel was offering a blood sacrifice? It's because he's a sinner that needed atonement. That's why he was offering the blood sacrifice. And Abel died trusting the blood of Christ to atone for his sin. That's what the writer to Hebrews tells us in verse 4. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. We're talking about are the righteous cut off? Abel was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and by it, he being dead yet speaketh. Abel was righteous, but it wasn't because of anything he did. Abel was righteous through faith in Christ. That's how he was righteous. That's what Hebrews 11 is all about, isn't it? Now, Abel was murdered, but Abel didn't perish. (laughs) Abel died, but he didn't perish. Abel died and went to be with the Lord. Now, that's not perishing, is it? No, that's living. And this is what this teaches us. Salvation, righteousness, comes to sinners through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Period. We don't add to it by our works. Salvation and righteousness comes to sinners by the blood of Christ, by the blood of his sacrifice. So you can do everything right. I mean, earthly speaking, you can do everything right. And you'll still suffer loss and pain and heartache. It's because we live in a world of sin. We live in a body of sin. You can trust Christ. I mean, you can be committed to him. You can be committed to his cause. You can be committed to the gospel and still not have very many material blessings in this life. You still live a pretty hard life trusting Christ. But that doesn't mean you did anything wrong. That doesn't mean you did anything wrong. That's just God's will for you. What that means is this. Salvation is by grace, not by works. God's blessings to his people are by grace, not by works. And if you trust Christ, that thrills your soul. That thrills your soul. Even though you're guilty of sin against God, salvation is not by your works. 
Salvation is by grace. You could be a wonderful spouse. You could be a great parent. You can be a fantastic neighbor. You can be a fine, upstanding citizen. And every last one of us should be. There's no reason in this world any of us should, should, should be a bad spouse or a bad neighbor or, or you know, a, difficult to live with. You know, every one of us should be fine, upstanding citizens. But this is what we know. We're still sinners. Now, we're still sinners. You know it. So our comfort, our hope of eternal life is it's not our works that make, makes us innocent. It's not our works that makes us righteous because we know that's not so. Here's our comfort and hope of eternal life. Salvation is by grace. It's by grace through the blood of Christ. The believer's hope of eternal life is God doesn't give me what I deserve. He gives me what Christ deserves. That's our hope of eternal life. Isn't it? That's where it's found at. And if I'm righteous in Christ, my body will die, but God will never cut me off. Never. The righteous will not be cut off. All right, number two. This is a very sad thing to talk about, but it happens. What about babies who die? I can't think of anything more heart-wrenching than you than a baby dying. Families so looking forward to that joy to bring a baby home and the baby dies. Now you and I tend to think that babies are innocent, but they're not. Here's why babies die. is because they're guilty of sin in Adam the same way you and me are, for the very same reason. Now that is very difficult for us to think about our little babies, isn't it? But it's true. It's true. You all know I have a, a new baby in my life right now. Six-month-old grandson. Now, intellectually, I know. He's got a sin nature. I know that. But Chris, that's tough for Papa to see. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's tough for Papa to see. But you know what? It's there. I can show you that, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Verse 12. Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And what that literally translates is all sinned. All sinned in Adam. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, even though there was no law given, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. I tell you what Paul is, is saying here. From Adam to Moses, there was no law given, was there? God gave the law to Moses, and before God gave the law to Moses, there was no law given from God on earth. But before God gave the law, people still died. They still died. Even though there was no law for them to break, they still died. They didn't break one of the Ten Commandments, did they? Because they weren't given yet. 
Well, then why did they die? If there was no law for them to break, if there was no law for them to sin against, why did they die? Because all of Adam's race became guilty in Adam. When Adam, our representative, sinned, so did we. As Brother Henry said so many times, we don't become sinners the first time we steal a watermelon. We still steal a watermelon because we are sinners. We became sinners way back there in Adam. That's why babies die. That's why we suffer this, this heartache. It's because that baby is guilty in Adam. Now Paul says here, a baby hasn't openly defied God by his actions, like Adam did yet. But that baby's still a sinner. He became a sinner in Adam, our representative. Now that's true. That's true. But let me give you some comfort. Let me give you some comfort here. We believe, based on the scripture, based upon the word of God, we believe that when babies die, they go be with the Lord. John, I don't think that because the baby's so cute. No, we, we have scripture for that. With David's son with Bathsheba. Remember, he committed adultery with Bathsheba. She became pregnant. And that baby was born. It was dying. David sat and begged and begged and begged and begged God for that baby's life. And the baby died. And David said, now he's dead. Now he's dead. I shall go to him. I shall go to him. But he shall not return to me. David said, I'm going to see him again. I'm going to see him one day in glory. Look back at the book of Jonah. Jonah, chapter 4, between Obadiah and Micah. Jonah, chapter 4. Now remember, Lord sent Jonah to Nineveh. To declare unto them because of their iniquity that God's going to destroy the city. Jonah didn't want to go because he knew this. If he went and declared unto them, God's going to destroy this city because of your, your wickedness. If they beg God for mercy, God will be merciful. God won't, won't destroy, you know, the, the city. And Jonah said, I'll look bad. Aren't we a mess? I mean, what a thing. Jonah is upset thinking he's going to look bad because God is merciful and wouldn't destroy the city. Well, look what God said to him. Jonah 4, verse 11. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and also much, much cattle? Now, Joseph was so upset, or Jonah was so upset that the Lord didn't destroy the city, but the Lord said, Jonah? It's only right that I don't destroy the city. He said, there's 120,000 people in that city that can't tell the difference between the right hand and the left hand. Well, now who's he talking about there? Talking about babies. Can't tell their right hand from their left hand. Now, like I said a minute ago, we don't believe that babies who die go be with the Lord because they're innocent. No, not at all. Now, that baby is a sinner. The father chose him. The son suffered and bled and died for him. He died to redeem him. When that baby dies, the Lord brings him home to be with him. 
It's out of that great darkness and sadness when one of our babies die. There's a bright ray of God's glory. God took that baby home because God's merciful. God took that baby home because he's gracious. It has to be, doesn't it? has to be. Salvation has to be by grace. That baby never did want to work for God. That baby never tied the dime. Never walked an aisle. Never made a confession. Got, never got baptized. Never said one prayer. Never did one good work. That baby was saved by God's grace and God's grace alone. That baby is saved by the blood of Christ alone. That gives this sinner good hope. I'll be, if I'm saved, I'm going to be saved the same way. By God's grace. By the blood of Christ without any of my works being added to it. And I have any idea how sinful my works are, that thrills my heart. That thrills my heart. All right, number three. What about the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior? So many people say that the innocent was put to death that day on that center cross. Well, the scriptures do say this about the Lord Jesus. He did no sin. Neither was any guile found in his mouth. Isaiah called him the king who shall reign in righteousness. This is a righteous king. Isaiah also said, the Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake. He's righteous. His righteousness pleased the father. Jeremiah called the Lord Jesus the righteous branch. The angel who came and told Mary she was with child, he didn't know what to call the Lord in the womb. He just called him that holy thing. He's holy. Even in the womb, he's holy. We talked about this last weekend. The demons knew who he was. Now, they didn't bow to him. They didn't beg him for mercy, but the demons knew who he was. You know who they called him? The Holy One of God. Peter called the Lord Jesus the Lamb. Remember when and Peter was there, he heard John the Baptist say, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Peter called him the Lamb without blemish and without spot. He was sinless. The Lord Jesus is the only righteous, innocent man who has ever walked the face of this earth. The scriptures make that plain. He's righteous. He's innocent. Then why did he die? If he's righteous, why did he die? If he's innocent, how could he die? If the righteous are never cut off, why did Isaiah say of him, he was cut off out of the land of the living? Why did, why did he say that if he's righteous? Here's one of the wonders of the gospel of God's grace. It's one of the truths that make, makes the gospel supernatural. It's something only God could do. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy One of Israel, the Holy One of God, He died because He was made guilty. He was made guilty of the sin of His people. And every time I say that, I feel compelled to say this. Christ was not made a sinner. Nobody's saying that. Nobody's saying this. Get down here. Nobody's saying that. The scripture says this. He was made sin. He has made sin itself. All of the sin of God's elect was transferred off of them. 
and made to be Christ's. Placed on him, so that sin became his sin. The Lord Jesus Christ, he suffered everything that sin is, with the exception of committing it. He suffered the shame of sin. When he said, I can't look up, I can't look my father in the face, he's suffering the shame of sin, the shame of guilt. He suffered the guilt of sin. When the scribes and Pharisees found all those false witnesses that came and lied against him, Scripture says he did not open his mouth. He never one time defended himself. He never one time said, that's not true. You know why he didn't say that's not true? Because it was. He he could not say that's not true because I'm guilty of that sin. And my sin became his. He'd been made sin. He'd been made guilty. And then, after suffering the shame and the guilt of sin, he suffered the penalty of sin. He suffered. Oh, how he suffered. Body and soul, he suffered for sin. And then he died under the wrath of his Holy Father. The Father who he loved and loved him. The fa- he was one with the Father. Before any creation, he was daily the delight of his Father. Now his Father turned his wrath on him and slaughtered his son. He shoved the heart, the, the sword of justice into the heart of his fellow because sin demands death. The Father put him to death. Now I know this. If I know anything about God, I know this. He's holy. God is holy. Father is holy. Everything he does is holy and it's right. Well, it would be unholy and unjust to put an innocent man to death. That wouldn't be right. God wouldn't do that. And he didn't do that. So he made his son sin for his people. And then the father put a guilty man to death to satisfy his justice. And when Christ suffered, And he died for the sin of his people. Those people are sinners by birth, sinners by choice, and sinners by practice. When Christ died for them, you know what he did? He made them innocent. He made them righteous. He made them the righteousness of God in him so that the Father will never cut them off. I wish I could get the ear and the heart of all the religious, particularly Calvinistic people that, that love to argue over this, this thing. My friends, this is not a doctrine to be argued over. If somebody wants to argue with you over this, turn your back and walk away. Just walk away. This is not a, a doctrine to be argued about. This is a truth to rejoice in. Christ made sin so that his people would be made the righteousness of God in him is the assurance of our salvation. It's the wonder of God's love that he would do that for the likes of you and me. That he make his holy son sin and then slaughter him for the likes of you and me. 
Oh, that's a doctrine to be loved. That's a doctrine to thrill our hearts that God would love his people so much that he would go to that extreme to save them. That Christ willingly suffering and dying for the sin of his people so that they be brought to be with him where he is, that they might behold his glory. That's his great love for his people that draws them to him. And it's because of his sacrifice so that they made righteous and never cut off. And that brings me to the fourth point. What about us? What about us sinners? If the righteous are never cut off, that must mean the unrighteous are cut off, right? If the innocent can never perish, that must mean the guilty always perish. Well, what about us? I want you to take this home with you now. Oh, I pray God apply this to your heart. It'll give you such peace, peace for your soul. Now, if the Lord's opened our eyes about anything at all, into any spiritual truth whatsoever, we know this about ourselves. We're sinners. We're sinners. Everything we are is sin. Everything we know, everything we do, everything we think is sin. And our best religious deeds, our best religious deeds, are enough to send worlds to hell. Worlds to hell. We have to repent of our repentance, don't we? We've got to ask God to forgive us for our prayers. We've got to ask God to forgive us for our praise and worship of Him. I mean, really, I mean, we're so thankful for this time we can gather together and hear of Christ, have God's word open to us and worship him. But when you really think about it, we're just ashamed of our worship. I mean, it, it, it so pales in comparison to what God deserves, doesn't it? I mean, even our best, we're just, we're so ashamed of it. Nothing we do is innocent. Well, how can we not perish? Huh? How can we? Nothing we do is righteous. Nothing. But how can we not be cut off? Well, it's because of what I just told you, my third point. It's because of the sacrifice of Christ. Oh, if we'll learn this, we'll be a whole lot happier. It's all for Christ's sake. Salvation, righteousness, peace with God, it's all for Christ's sake. God's blessings to us, whatever it is he's pleased to give, it's all for Christ's sake. If the Lord Jesus Christ died for you, brother, you're innocent. You're innocent. And you can never die. The Lord Jesus Christ has already, here's the reason you can't die. Your substitute's already died. He's already died for your sins. Your sin's gone. There's nothing that can make you die. If the Lord Jesus Christ died for you, He made you righteous. He made you righteous. Well, there's no reason for God to cut you off. The Father cut off His Son. When His Son was made sin, as He hung there on the tree, what was one of the things He cried? My God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? The father cut him off. He cut him off for the sin of his people. So that he'll never cut you off. Never. 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 
I don't care how dark the night. I don't care how painful the trial. I don't care how strong the doubts. If the father cut off his son for your sin, he'll never cut you off. Never. (laughs) Christ paid the debt. Now you're accepted in the blood. Well, where does that leave you and me? Huh? Where does that leave us? Well, it leaves us dependent on Christ, doesn't it? It depends us thanking Him, being a thankful people. It leaves us resting in Christ. It leaves us worshiping Christ. As imperfect as it might be, it leaves us worshiping Christ. It leaves us looking for His return. And it leaves the believer saying this, there's no fear in death. Our bodies will still die, but you won't die. Your soul won't die. Your soul won't be cut off. Not if you believe Christ at home. It leaves the believer having no fear in death. And you know why there's no fear in death? It's a point on a man wants to die and after this the judgment. If there's no fear in judgment, because Christ has already been judged for you, if there's no fear in judgment, there's no fear in death. There's no fear in death. People who are innocent and who are righteous, they don't fear the judgment. They don't fear standing before the judgment seat of Christ because they'll never be cut off and they'll never perish. I'd venture to say, oh, Eliphaz didn't know how true he was, did he? That's not what he meant, but he didn't know how true he was in that statement. The righteous will never be cut off. Now that lets us rest in Christ. That's why I pray for you and me. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, oh how we thank you for the good news of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we look at ourselves, everything is black and dark and dead and hopeless. When we look at the world around us, everything is black and dead and dark and hopeless. But Father, if you would be pleased to be merciful and give us life and open our eyes and let us see the glory of Christ. Let us see the the light and the glory and the hope that sinners have in him. Father, I pray that you would exalt the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Take everything that's been said and, and done here today and glorify your son in the hearts of each one of us here this morning. And Father, by your grace and by your power, enable each one of us here to leave trusting in Christ and Christ alone. How we thank you that salvation's in him. Father, it's in his blessed name. For his glory and his sake we pray. Amen. Now like uh, Wednesday night, I don't know if I've got a cold or allergies, but uh, one of my favorite times of the week is greeting you all at the door, but I'm not going to do that in the event that it's a cold. Uh, I don't want to give it to you, so uh, the Lord bless you. All right. Chris, come lead us in the closing hymn if you would.